you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. Before you take your seat, I'll just get in this habit that right after we do that, this next we're going to do is sit down. But before you sit down, I'm just going to tell you what I'm here to tell you. And that's God's going to answer. God's going to answer. Now you may be seated. We're in a a transitional passage. We're moving from the seals of God's judgment to these trumpets of God's judgment. You see this in in verse 2, a reference to the angels being handed these seven trumpets. We're going to see in in the next passage, um, these seven trumpets are trumpets of of judgment. You see that just, just glance in verse seven, where in the first angel blows his trumpet, that hail and fire mixed with blood is thrown upon the earth. This is a transitional passage, but it's leading us to a similar context. And yet, and it also is calling us back to a similar context. It's calling us back when we see the seventh seal open. It's calling us back to when we saw the fifth seal opened and this great scroll that was in the hand of Almighty God that only the Lamb of God was able to take from him and then open. And the fifth seal, if you'll remember, there were the prayers of particular saints. Back in chapter 6 and and verse 9, we... We're called back to this because it's a similar kind of scene where we have the altar of incense in the temple of God and these prayers that are being sent up. Chapter 6, verse 10. Those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne, they cry out to the Lord, how long before you will judge 
and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. When we get to verses three through five of our passage, we see the prayers of all the saints in the same place. Rising to the same God. And so it's a callback. It's it's just another look at the same kind of thing. And here's the, the message of our passage. The wait for God's vengeance is almost over. The wait for God's vengeance is almost over. These few verses are teaching us this truth that the judgments that God is going to bring upon this world include vengeance upon people who have mistreated Christians. And so, Revelation 8, verses 1 through 5, is for all those who are here who are trusting the Lord with all their sorrow. Who are waiting upon the Lord. And crying out to the Lord. How long will this wrong that's been committed against me stand? How long will I have to keep on enduring the harshness of people who will not acknowledge you, Lord? My God, why have you forsaken me? This is a passage for all those who know what it means to ask God to take a cup from you. A hardship from you. But this passage is also good for. Anyone not in those circumstances this morning. Because I I understand that it's not just Christians who experience wrong in this world. Each one of us knows what that is like. And you may have asked the question, is there anything I can do? Or maybe if you tried a lot of things and nothing's fixing the wrongs in your life, you've wondered, is there any reason to have any hope that anything can be done? Well, whatever your situation, I want you to know God is going to answer. He gives us two things to do when we can't do anything about the wrongs in our life. Two things to do when we can't do anything about the wrongs in our life. The first thing is in verse one, and that's wait in silence. Wait in silence. Have have you ever wondered why our church uh, begins and ends every worship service with silence? Uh, some of you, I'm sure, have not wondered that at all. You just chalk that up to how weird we are as a church. And that that's fine. We are weird. But the reason we do this is because of 
Revelation 8 verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. But it's not just in Revelation chapter 8 where silence is, we're, we're told, is, is an appropriate response to the worship of God. We are told in Scripture that we should be, when we're worshiping, waiting upon the Lord in silence because the one who we're coming to, the one who is ultimately going to answer the wrongs in this world, is the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 2 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Therefore, let all the earth keep silence. He's there. He is reigning in his heavenly home. We should be silent. We, we, we should understand that worship of God is not a chatty thing. It's not a casual thing. We're, we, we've not just walked into the presence of a great man. We're not coming here to get something. To manipulate. We're coming to the Lord Almighty. Zechariah Chapter 2 says, be silent. All flesh. Before the Lord. Because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. He is getting up to do something. Be silent. We should wait. In silence, when we can't do anything about the wrongs in our life, we should wait in silence because the Lord's vengeance is awful. Zephaniah 1, be silent before the Lord God, for the, Lord, the day of the Lord is near. The day when he will answer. All the wrongs in this world is near. So we should be silent before him. Now, what we've seen is that day of the Lord is not just going to be a day of awful judgment for the believer. It's going to be a day of wonderful salvation. I mean, we, we just right before the seventh seal is opened and that silence falls. We were told right before that in chapter seven, what's going to happen to all those who trust in the Lord? We're going to be in his presence we're going to be worshiping him. We're going to be freed, delivered from the great tribulation. We will be there before him and we will serve him day and night in his temple. He will shelter us with his presence. We will not be hungry anymore. We will not be thirsty anymore. The sun will not strike us because the lamb is going to be in the midst of the throne and he's going to be our shepherd and he's going to guide us to springs of living water. And God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's going to be a great day. Of salvation for us. And. The wait. For God's vengeance is almost over. 
And we've been told what that's going to be like. So terrible that those who hate him still hate him and try to hide from him, but can't escape him. They will cry out for the mountains to fall upon them and bury them alive. Wait in silence because his vengeance is awful. Silence always feels longer than it really is. That was 30 seconds. We live in a world where if you go to a worship service, it's so loud. That you can't hear yourself sing, much less the person next to you. The way the happening churches are doing it is if we pray, it's so that the people will close their eyes while we change the, the setting up here. You know, the prayers are just transitional. And when you open your eyes, then the music team's back up there. So we don't have to wait at all. So we don't have to be bored at all. So that no one ever has to be uncomfortable in any way. But then we come to Revelation. And it lifts our eyes to from the realities of of our world to to realities that our world and our hearts hide from us. And in heaven, we see what real worship is. And in heaven, worship includes this kind of silence. And so that's that's why we as a church mark this every time we come into the presence of God. And then at the end, when we are leaving the special presence of God, as this church has gathered, we are silent. Now, every moment in between that silence, I want lots of amens. I want some noise. Don't. We're awfully silent now. That's probably appropriate, but. God's vengeance is awful. And and yet waiting for it is really hard because vengeance is really good. His vengeance is really good. The day when he will put to an end all his enemies. When he will silence all the proud. 
And he will bring to nothing all of Satan's temptations and victories. When everything that has hurt God's people comes to an end, is removed forever and ever, when all the veil is gone and, and actually people actually see God for who he is, that's going to be a good day. And waiting for it is hard. Beloved, longing is one thing and patience is another. Just remember this. The wait for God's vengeance is almost over, but we're still waiting. And we should wait in this kind of reverent, sobered, patient, worshiping silence. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, we we hear one thing. And then we turn and see that thing, and it's, and it's not what we expected to see. And here, the twist is, we didn't hear anything. But then in verse 2, we see. And, and, and what you might expect, because we didn't hear anything in the silence, is that we're not going to see God do a thing. But that's not what we see. In verses 2 through 5, in fact, we see God do something that gives us something else that we should do whenever we're waiting for God to answer. We should, number two, wait in prayer. We should wait in prayer. Right when we see in verse 2 the trumpets appear, it's natural to think, okay, now the silence is about to be broken, these instruments. But it's actually that what breaks the silence at this point is not musical instruments, it's the prayers of God's people. In verse 3, going up into the presence of God. And I want you to Understand what is going on here with all this imagery of the altar of incense and the temple of God and worship. Again, the way we understand this is because this has already been shown us in chapter 6 where the prayers of the saints were at that altar and they were praying there for vengeance. And I just want you to see that I think these are the same kinds of prayers because of what they do. When those prayers are mingled with the incense from the altar and rise up to God, notice what God does in verse 5. The angel, surely at the command of God, is now taking the censer, filling it with fire from the altar, and what does he do? He throws it on the earth. And then there's thunder, lightning, and earthquake. As we saw in chapter 4, those are the things that God used to Threaten judgment in the Old Testament. And then what happens? The trumpets start getting blown and it's God's judgment that falls. So listen to me. The wait for God's vengeance is almost over. 
And it's going to be over as the prayers of the saints go up. And judgment then comes down. Do you see the relationship? The prayers go up and then God sends judgment down. Wait in prayer, beloved. Because our prayers make it up to God. You know, one of the most frustrating experiences in my life. I'm sure it's the same in yours. One of the most frustrating experiences in this world is communication. Trying to say something important and they don't get it. They misinterpret it. It reminded me as I was thinking about this, about how some people will comment about how our, our kids um, don't interrupt us. Sometimes they do. But they've learned not to interrupt us because sometimes they do. Um, but they don't interrupt us. They come up to us and they put their hand when we're in the middle of a conversation on our arm and then they just wait. I realized, man, we're doing an awesome job. <laughs> As I was saying, this is like wait in silence, wait in prayer. That's what we're, we've been training them to do. Man, God is gracious to us. Uh, sometimes they do. Wait, they wait a really long time and they just give up. And I think that's when they start waiting in prayer. They just call out to the Lord because daddy's not... That he's not even listening. I want you to know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to teach them that they aren't God. Amen and you're welcome. I, I'm telling you, you're welcome because I'm trying to make them marriageable. And I'm just imagining that one day they might have the, the, uh, a pick from some of the kids in here, the litter in here. And, uh, and I'm a little frustrated that y'all don't do this with y'all's children. Y'all just let them interrupt all the time. I wonder who they're going to marry. I'm doing my part. I'm trying to teach them they're not God. Interrupting is the habit of an idolater. People who will not wait in silence. But who have to interrupt and beg and, and, and say what they want right now. Give it to me now. Now, I'm mostly kidding when I connect that to our parenting, mostly. Um, but I do, I do want you to consider how rare it is to find someone who doesn't interrupt. Or you could think of it this way. How rare it is to find someone who's a good listener. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are certain people that you get to meet in your life, and they're a really good listener. Most most of y'all aren't good listeners. And uh, <laughs> when you meet a good listener, you just think, man, that's so good. He gets me. Beloved, God gets us. Our prayers... Don't just stay in our mind. They make it all the way up. We're not, we're not talking to ourselves. And somehow, it, God's not that impatient kid who's interrupting all the time, doesn't really listen. He's listening. God is listening. And he hears every 
prayer that's broken with sobs. He hears every cry for help when that's the only word that you can even manage. And every cry that's silently lifted because you're surrounded by the hateful. Our prayers make it up to God. That's what it says in in verse 3. That angel takes incense from the altar and offers it with our prayers. And takes it to that offer, uh, to, to that altar and it burns and the smoke then of the incense with the prayers. It's not just the incense that rises before God. It's with the prayers that rise before God. God's going to answer. Because our prayers make it all the way up to him. And you should wait in prayer. When you can do nothing else about the wrongs in your life, you should wait in prayer because our prayers move God. They move God. Look at look at that in verse five, when it says in verse five, then. This is what happened next. It, it means that the thunder and the lightning and the earthquake that are around were around God's throne in chapter four that are then sent to earth are there by the angel because. Of the prayers of the saints in verses three and four. Then they prayed, then God answered. Prayers are sweet incense to God. Sweet smelling savor to God because prayer is humble and God loves humility. Our prayers, listen, our prayers are the proof of what we actually trust God for. And prayerlessness is a record of unbelief. It is proof of self-sufficiency. And God hates that. I don't believe that God is given to flattery, but I do think we should believe that he loves worship. He loves to be seen for who he really is, and that is worthy. So when someone prays and asks him and waits on him, that is sweet to him and it pleases him and it provokes him to then act. Prayer is pleasing to God because it's humble, which which means that God's going to answer does not mean that our prayers determine what God is going to do. No, our prayers are prayers for God to do. What he's already said. He wants to do and he's going to do. This is why Jesus taught us to pray this way. Jesus commanded us, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallow your name. Set it apart. Make it great. I want you to do what you want to do. 
and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what these prayers are doing. I want your kingdom to come. I want your name to be hallowed. I want what's going on up there to happen down here. And there's so much in the way down here. That's what these prayers are. They're, they're asking him to do what he's already going to do. The saints in, 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 in Revelation are just conforming their prayers to what God has revealed are his purposes. And, and his purposes, beloved, are to fill the world with people who trust in and honor him. So we could turn to lots of prayers in Scripture where they're praying for payback on their enemies. But I'm just going to go to one. I'm going to go to one passage, Psalm 69, where the psalmist says, pour out your indignation or hatred upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. He's just asking it. And who are them? They are the ones who have reproached the psalmist, who've broken his heart so that he's now in despair. When he looked for pity and, and everyone was cruel to him. And he says, you know what you should do to them, God? Let your burning anger overtake them. Give them punishment upon punishment. May they not receive any forgiveness from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. That's what he prays. And that's what the kind of things they're praying here in Revelation. Imprecatory prayers or asking God to punish the wicked. Imprecatory prayers, we're told by this passage, they are pleasing perfume to God. Think about it. Because when people wait in that kind of prayer, they are showing, I don't trust anyone but you to right this wrong. You are the only one who's good enough to answer this. I'm not going to do it. But this is evil and you hate evil. I'm waiting upon you. Will you do it? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, now I've known a lot of petty people in my day. And you're telling me God is going to answer the prayers for their prayers for vengeance? That doesn't seem right. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I don't think he's going to answer selfish, purely personal vengeance kinds of prayers. He tells us in James 4, I, I'm not going to answer you if this is just for you. Christians are, are, are not to be like the toddler begging their parent to punish a sibling. And, and the parent, let's just imagine an imaginary parent. You know, this wouldn't be my experience, but just goes up to their little daughter and says, what's wrong? He'd be so laddie. 
That was Hebe so utty, which I've, not I, but in, in this scenario, a parent would have heard enough. How utty, how ugly siblings are. And, I, and so I asked, this guy asks, well, how is your brother so ugly to you, sweetheart? And, and the answer she gives is, well, he won't let me play with his toy. God is not going to see persecution and and seek vengeance when we just don't get what we want. That's not it. Don't even ask. He I don't think he's going to answer screams of rage. I don't think he's going to avenge those who just lash out in their anger and then become the objects of his vengeance. You see that? We can so easily turn the deserving correction on ourselves when we don't wait in silence and wait in prayer, but said, lash out on him or on the person who's wronging us. Now, this is this is for those situations when you can't do anything and when you shouldn't do anything. Then I'm telling you, there is something you can do. You can say your prayers. Because even prayers to pay back sinners for dishonoring God and hurting God's people are prayers God's going to answer. Vengeance is mostly about the Lord. This is key. God's people are mistreated in this in this world because of our association with him. That, that, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. It's because believers are being faithful to the Lord. He is the one that they hate the most. And therefore, when we're in those kinds of situations, it is right to pray. Do not let them continue to persecute your people. Don't let the evil keep on killing the innocent. Lord, would you use the blood of Jesus Christ to save this person? And if you won't, will you put a stop to him? That's how they prayed. God's going to answer prayers to avenge his name and to avenge those who suffered for him. If you've come here today and you don't know this God, and this is actually surprising of the the father of Jesus Christ, the God of Christianity to be spoken of in this way. I want you to know I'm glad God brought you here today and you're welcome here every week. And I want you to see that one sign that someone is not surrendered to God the way that they should be is that they do not let God right wrongs for them. They just take it upon themselves. They're stealing vengeance, taking vengeance from him who it belongs to. If you keep coming back, you're going to keep hearing passages and every single passage you hear is I want you to hear who Jesus really is. And I want you to know that. Jesus was someone who waited in silence and who waited in prayer. This is amazing. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is exactly the way the cross is explained. When he was sinned against, when he was hated, he was silent. And instead of lashing out against them, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He was waiting in silence and waiting in prayer because he was totally convinced, I don't have to judge them. God is going to do it. I don't have to do it. I completely trust God. But also 1 Peter 2 says he was doing this for us, this righteous thing that maybe you've realized I've not lived my life this way. You know what else he was doing then? When he goes to the cross, he's dying for all of our unrighteousness. Otherwise, we fail to do that. In his body on the tree. He was dying so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you can be healed. There's something else you need to know about Jesus. I want you to know. The wait for God's vengeance is almost over. And Jesus Christ is the agent that God is going to use to bring it. Because these prayers in chapter 5, the prayers of the saints, were laid at the feet of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 6, when the wrath of God falls, it's the wrath of Jesus Christ that falls. And I wonder if today you can acknowledge... How you've mistreated God's people, not just dishonored God, but mistreated God's people. Is it possible that you have been so harsh to Christians for their faithfulness to God that they are actually asking God to do something to you? God's going to answer them. God's going to answer prayers for vengeance. But today you have an opportunity for God to answer your prayer for mercy. Right now, if you trust in Jesus Christ, he will have absorbed God's vengeance for you on the cross. And you will be forgiven. Revelation is so realistic. It's realistic about the absolute necessity of being faithful to Jesus to the very end, no matter what happens. And it also plainly acknowledges just how hard that's going to be. So if you're here and you are trusting in Christ, even if today's the first day you trusted in Christ, whenever you experience how hard it is to follow Christ, just you wait. I'm using a phrase made famous by bullies, just you wait. I'm using a phrase and I want to turn a phrase that is usually used by people who don't leave anything to God. And I want you to remember this phrase. Just you wait. We're going to be tempted whenever we face hardship to voice threats against people. And say that in a different way. Just wait what's coming to you. You don't have to you don't have to do that. In fact, when you're tempted to do it. When you're tempted to say that to other people, instead say it to yourself. Just you 
Wait. It's all you need to do. Just wait in silence. Don't get impatient with the Lord. Don't be demanding of the Lord. He is absolutely holy. And just wait in prayer. It's going to happen. He's going to answer. Don't follow the example of the rich and the productive in this world who have way too much to do to pray. If you mark anything down from Revelation 8, 1 through 5, mark this thing. Prayer gets things done. Beloved, when when God answers, will it be your prayers? I'm really asking, are you praying? If you're a Christian, it should be your highest priority priority to be a praying man. To be a praying woman. To be a praying a child. That's what it means to be a Christian is to trust Everything to the Lord. The wait for God's vengeance is almost over, but it's not over yet. And there are going to be a lot of things that go wrong in your life. And my final question is. When those things keep happening to you that are wrong. What are you going to do? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make us a people who trust you in everything. Who wait upon you. And who pray to you. And who wait for you to answer. Never losing certainty you're going to answer. We pray this. That you might be glorified by us. And that we might be receive the good of knowing the only true God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.